covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. It is great to have you with us as we continue to get closer and closer to the start of the regular season that is scheduled for Thursday, April 7th, when they will begin on the road against the Cubs. They'll play the Cubs and the Orioles on the road before they will open up the home portion of their schedule. That's going to be coming up on Thursday, April 14th, when they are going to match up against the Cardinals at American Family Field to open up a six-game homestand to open up the home portion of the season. Before we go any further, our normal housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast. If you want to uh, get in contact with me, best way to do so is on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And if you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast and uh, want to leave a ranking and review and uh, also subscribe, that would be uh, fantastic. If you've already done those things, thank you. If you don't want to do those things and you just want to listen each week, I appreciate you for uh, being tuned in on an every week basis. Our featured guest this week, we welcome uh, Kurt Hogue back onto the podcast, although in a new role, as we welcome him back on uh, now as one of the beat writers for the Journal Sentinel covering the Brewers as he moves up from uh, covering uh, preps uh, in Wisconsin and the Milwaukee area, and now he is going to be uh, covering the Brewers. Of course, he has uh, history and a past covering the Brewers from his time at uh, MLB.com and also uh, just doing some other things things as well. So we'll get into all that with uh, Kurt coming up in a few moments. Just a few, few things I want to comment on here at the top of the podcast before we get into our conversation with Kurt. Things that happened in the last week uh, that were notable and especially uh, a couple things happened in the game on Saturday that probably deserve some talking about. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon hit two home runs against right-handers. They were both uh, first-pitch home runs as well. And the fact that he showed the power, I guess that's important. We, we expect him to still have the power. He had the power last year, but the righty-lefty splits were not good last season for McCutcheon. So if he's somebody who can come in and kind of regain his ability to, uh, to hit right-handers, and again, it's just one spring training game. It's, we're not, you know naming him the MVP because he had a couple uh, home runs in uh, spring training games. But the point remains, if that is something that does hold up, that's going to be very notable for this team. The other thing that was notable in that game was uh, Keston Hira hit another home run. He now has three during Cactus League play. That is something that could be a really, really good thing for this team if he can kind of get back on the track that he was on. I was about to say if he could kind of refine who he was before, but really from a track record standpoint, his first season with the team, which really when you look at the games that he played, it was really a half season. It was a it was a high level half season, but he hasn't put it together in an entire major league season. And that's still what we're kind of waiting for on Keston Hira. And I know people are confident that that can still happen. You just you're not a prospect for no reason and then all of a sudden just lose it when maybe it doesn't work for you right off the bat at the big league level. Uh, development is still going on, but that's that's something to be excited about. It's also something that maybe you pump the brakes on a little bit because uh, in the past he has had, you know, when you look at his numbers that he's put up in the minor leagues and look at the numbers that he put up at AAA when he was sent back down from the Brewers, things like that, uh, he, he was always able to hit at a high level. So can he put it all together in a regular season Major League Baseball, not just game, but over an extended period of time, 
that's something that we don't know, and that's something that we're simply going to have to wait and see on if that is going to uh, going to happen. The other thing, it's going to be interesting to see what the team does at third base to open up the season. Uh, it looks like Luis Urias is not going to be ready for opening day. Now, it shouldn't be that long after opening day that he is able to uh, return. Uh, you would think that Jace Peterson is going to be the guy who's going to be given the uh, first opportunity to get the most amount of at-bats over at third base. Uh, a guy who gets on base a lot, right, and, and he comes up with the occasional big hit. But his his skill set, the thing that makes him, uh, you know, you, you look at his stat line, the thing that is exceptional is his ability to uh, to get on base. He's going to be given the first opportunity. Mike Brousseau, Pablo Reyes also will probably be given some opportunities at third base. But seeing which one of those guys really steps forward here over the last couple weeks of spring, if any of them do, to try to kind of grab hold of that third base job until Luis Urias is able to return, uh, that's going to be an interesting storyline as well. All right, let's get to uh, this week's uh, feature conversation. We're very happy to welcome this guy back on, although we're welcoming him on the podcast for the first time since he's got his uh, new role when uh, Tom Hodricourt retired from the Journal Sentinel covering the Brewers. Todd Rosiak kind of moved into uh, Tom's spot, and that opened up Todd uh, to, uh, that opened up Todd's previous spot. And uh, with that, uh, Kurt Hogue is uh, moving into that role and will be teaming with uh, Todd Rosiak to uh, cover the Brewers for the Journal Sentinel, Jay online uh, USA Today Sports Plus all those places where you can uh, read uh, the coverage and uh, it's really really cool for him the guy who uh, kind of came up uh, was the uh, number two with MLB.com with Adam McCalvey uh, early on and has been in the Journal Sentinel system for a while covering uh, prep sports and uh, we're really really uh, happy for him so let's welcome uh, Kurt on to the podcast Kurt uh, congratulations on the new job really big deal I know a lot of people certainly are excited for you Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm down here in Arizona. Nice and sunny, not to rub it in too much. Don't feel like it's, I haven't looked, but I don't think it's very nice uh, back in wonderful old Wisconsin. Um, so we'll, we'll avoid the weather topic. Yeah, at, at 4.01 p.m. on Sunday the 27th as we record, I am in Pewaukee and it's 28 degrees outside. Not great. Nope, not great. But that's uh, that's how it goes. Uh, you just got uh, you wrapped up the prep beat and jumped right into uh, the Brewers. That had to be kind of fun for you because you, when uh, kind of your last thing is covering state championship and there were some great performances from some Milwaukee area teams. And you knew as soon as that was done, you would get to jump right into Brewers. Yeah. Walking out of the Cole Center a couple Saturdays ago uh, after the Division One state final which Nina won was this realization of, Oh, so that's, that's the end of that. Uh, we'll be going down to Arizona in a few days. So yeah, no, it was a, it dawned upon me very quickly because I kind of had to be in preps mode during the end of the spring or not spring, the end of the winter state tournament, which happened to be during spring. Uh, so it was a very quick adjustment of packing and uh, trying to wrap my head around all things that were happening down here in Phoenix. So you were already, in, and we'll get into Brewer stuff in a second, but I just think it's a cool story of you getting this position. Uh, you were in the Journal Sentinel family. You've got lots of connections to the Brewers. You were uh, the MLB.com intern with Adam McCalvia a few years back. Even when you left the state and were working uh, in Minnesota, you, you kept going with the Brewers a little bit. You did some online things. You had the newsletter, which we've had you on the, the podcast before, connected that. So it almost seems perfect that you still had just, just enough brewer stuff that it made a lot of sense for you to move into that brewer's position. Yeah, there was always some semblance of 
I don't know if you want to say covering the team because I was not, you know, entrenched in any capacity on, on, on a beat or anything like that, but um, watching and finding ways to write or tweet or whatever it is about the team. So that, that, that never went away completely. And so now it's kind of just a, a pretty easy transition as far as, you know, this can be easy um, going into covering them for the journal Sentinel, which obviously I'm super excited about now. Uh, one of the big storylines here over the last couple of weeks, obviously, is the team signing Andrew McCutcheon. He had the two home run game on Saturday. You don't really know what is going to what's going to happen. What his righty lefty splits are going to look like. He, he's getting older. He still had good power numbers last year. It seems like he's going to be the first guy to be given the everyday DH role, if that's even going to exist the way Craig Council manages. But it it really seems like there's an opportunity for this to be something that could work out for this club. Yeah. You make a good point there about if that even exists, the everyday DH role, it probably won't exist in that capacity, but yeah, he, he seems with the way the roster set up and kind of the power that he showed last year to be the guy that will take over the lion's share of designated hitter opportunities early on. Now we know baseball is a long season and the Brewers are a team that's built on depth the offense isn't necessarily full of top-heavy impact bats, but it's it's a lineup that's predicated on having a lot of guys that can slot in to a lot of spots. So who knows uh, who takes over the line share of those DH opportunities as the year goes on. Obviously, with McCutcheon, you, you like the track record if you're the Brewers of the bat. Um, the power did not go away at all last year, even though he did struggle – significantly against right-handers, which uh, was a, a, a reason that both of his homers, first pitch homers on Saturday were encouraging signs because uh, they both came against a right-hander. Um, but but they're just guys that will get plenty of DH opportunities. Keston Hira, if he's swinging the bat like this, I think Tyrone Taylor has to be put in the lineup a certain amount of times at this point with just the way he has done nothing but produce, whether it's you know, in a pinch hit role or a, a starting role last year or um, in spring training this year, pretty much every time Tyron Taylor's been in the lineup, he's hit. So there will be guys that um, as the court, as the year goes on, we'll get some shots to get their at bats. And who knows that DH spot might be a good way to plug in the hot guy into the lineup and kind of shuffle the pieces around. Yeah. I was going to ask you your thoughts on the two guys you just mentioned. So let's get into them a little bit more and we will start with Tyron Taylor it does feel like every time he's given an opportunity, he he does something with it. Uh, it also feels like at times the organization makes moves that kind of move him back down on on the on the depth chart. Yet you never hear anybody say a bad word about the guy. There's never rumblings about not trusting, but sometimes actions speak louder than words. It's just he he hasn't been given that opportunity yet to be an everyday guy. And me personally, I'm very curious what it would look like if he was ever given that opportunity. Yeah, and the thing with the Brewers, at least in the last, well, under ever since they've been in compete mode, I would say, under David Stearns, is they have had multiple times where there have been young guys that seem like they are ready to take on the big everyday role. And then some, some semblance of value pops up right on the doorstep and the brewers take advantage of it. And they kind of just figure out the rest for later. You think back to Domingo Santana going into, he had a big 2017 year when the brewers kind of 
surprised a lot of people. And then all of a sudden, who, what do they do? They sign Yelich or they trade for Yelich and they sign Kane on the same day and Santana's role, it diminishes. Um, they did the same thing with Luis Urias last year. So, you know, they make this big trade. They trade away Grisham, who has a huge season in 2020. Davies had a big year with the Padres. Um, and, and then all of a sudden the next, you know, it's like, okay, well, Luis Arias is going to have to play every day because you gave up a lot for him. And then what do they do? They trade for Willie Adamas and they have to move Luis Ar- and they sign Colton Wong as well. So they have to move him around. Keston Hira looked like he was, you know, the everyday second baseman. They signed Colton Wong. So they just kind of see, see, I, I think it's just see value acquire value maybe um but but they did they did go out actively getting hunter renfro so tyrone taylor the opportunity will come you think at some point this year with injuries and attrition and all that's and with the dh but yeah definitely a guy that has done nothing but produce um and he's kind of a guy that you want to see what he would do with 500 plate appearances because his approach is solid the power is solid um, it, it, it just looks like a professional hitter is the way I'd say it. The other guy, uh, Keston here on so far, so good in spring. I think he's hit three home runs so far. You know, who knows what his role is going to be like. Craig, Craig council said earlier in spring that they may give him some time in the outfield. That was before they had signed McCutcheon. So maybe that changes a little bit. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Uh, there's not a, is Rowdy Telez the guy at first base? Do you trust him at first base from a defensive standpoint? Is he going to be able to hit his track record at the big league level is basically a half season of hitting. He's also a guy who came up as a prospect and I'm a big believer that uh, the, you know, the development doesn't start, doesn't stop the, the moment you walk into a big league clubhouse. I don't know if there's a bigger unknown than Keston Hira because he has the ability to impact this team on a really profound level, while at the same time, if he performs the way he has the last two seasons, it's just not very good. Yeah, he has the ability to, I guess, Yelich as well, but he has the ability more so than any other player to elevate the ceiling of this team's offense. I think I would even pick him over Yelich because you can pencil Yelich in for an everyday role. And he's kind of got the ability to at least keep his numbers more respectable with the walks and sort of the batted ball profile. Whereas Hira, you're not, I don't know how much you're banking on out of him. Um, and, but he's got the ability to be the best hitter on the team, which is quite the varying uh, in outcomes there. So you never know how much to read into spring, right? Like he's looked really good. He has mechanical changes that have looked like they are impactful. Now the question is, you know, are pitchers in spring attacking, are they attacking on a scouting report? Are they kind of just hoping to establish stuff? But when you got three homers and 13 at bats, um, it's not bad, especially in, it's especially not going to be bad for your confidence, which I feel like with him is key after struggling so much last year and going through a lot um, on the personal side of things as well. And then you look at you can also want to look at is, is where are the strikeout numbers and it's only 13 at bats again. He's at three strikeouts, which is well below, you know, his rate uh, as a big leaguer. But then again, 13 at bats, small sample size. So <laughs> impossible to read too much into it at this point. Yeah, and the other thing to throw in there is you mentioned kind of the mechanical changes. And there were times where he went down to AAA and he was just incredible down there. And I personally actually didn't want to see that because it felt like his approach 
worked at AAA and didn't work at the big leagues, I was almost more comfortable when he went down to the minor leagues and maybe struggled because that showed me that maybe he was working on some things and trying to change some things up. So you, you mentioned the mechanical changes, which could be huge, but at the same time, you don't know if what he's doing in spring right now is the equivalent to what he's done basically at AAA over the last couple of years. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I'm going to try to pull up actually, because I, I would be curious what his strikeout numbers were at triple a now our triple a last year because that sort of seemed to be an issue even though he was hitting the snot out of the ball uh let's see yeah still struck out over a third of the time in triple a so he mashed but the issue was like you said was the the approach was not changed at all really and he still struck out a ton and when you all of a sudden you're facing big league pitchers and they're just not going to make those same level of mistakes now it seems like the Brewers do want to give Rowdy Telez maybe not an everyday job at first base, but pretty much the bulk of the work against righties um, and even throwing him in there against lefties because he does not really have the platoon splits. So it'll be interesting to see how Hira fits into the lineup, but when that bat is producing, you can't keep it out. Are you concerned when you look at these corner infield spots, especially early on in the season, because Luis Urias is in all likelihood going to miss opening day. He shouldn't be out too terribly long after that, but he's not going to be available right away. It just feels like the production that you're going to get from the corner infield spots is still very much a question mark. Yeah. I think especially at third base without Urias, they, there certainly is the, the buoy in the Jace Peterson on base the Jace Peterson on base party. Um, so, you know, at least a little bit what you're getting there, but it's, it's not going to be the defense I would say, because Luis Arias was graded out pretty well at third base defensively um, or the power that Arias provides. And, but the, it seems like the team's optimistic that he won't be out too long, um, which, which would be a definite positive for them. And then you kind of look at that first base picture. And like I said, it's Rowdy Telez as the everyday guy. And he's, while he has hit at the big league level, it doesn't, I would not say it's, he's a, he's an established producer at that, at the level at all, which is kind of a, a juxtaposition there um, of, of two separate things, but you know, you're, you're not looking at, you can't, you can't just pen in, or Sharpie in a certain level of production from either of those spots at this point. Yeah. People who listen to this podcast or listen to my post game show. know I talk all the time about track record because we see it all the time where guys are one season wonders, and then they just can never replicate that once again. So, yeah. And I, I would apply this to Luis Reyes as well. You, you, you don't know, you know, that power that he had last year, that was kind of a, a first time thing for him. You don't know if he's going to be able to replicate that uh, Rowdy Telez maybe there's a little bit more of a track record there and maybe the numbers weren't so gaudy that it's something that you expect that, that he's going to have a hard time matching. But the bottom line is I I still think there's more question marks than answers at those corner infield spots. Yeah. With the, with the Urias power, he flashed it a little bit, I think in, in one year at triple a, which was totally out of like out of the blue with what his profile was coming up as a hitter. So you know, that first year with the Brewers and then even at the beginning of last year, I was kind of looking at him in his swing and I was like, I don't see how this guy generated, you know, that much pop in AAA. I'm going to say he's not, he, 
he's never going to be a power hitter. And then all of a sudden he hit what 20, 20 something homers last year. Um, and the swing kind of started having that path where he's lifting the ball. He was driving it to the pull side. He could also spray it out to right field. Um, so I would, I would say just from like a, I want to say a scouting perspective, but a, an eye test perspective, the Urias power seems like it could be something you could e- expect or bank on as much as you can for a one-year breakout kind of guy. Because um, he's always had good contact and bat-to-ball skills as well. But you like, you, but with these, you know, kind of anomaly things. Sort of like the Christian Yelich 40 homers, you know, when he all of a sudden came over and his power shot up dramatically, it just it went away the last two years dramatically. So you like what what do you what do you bank on? You know, you can kind of expect, you know, McCutcheon will McCutcheon is very proven. If he's playing every day, he's gonna get you 20 homers. Um Colton Wong will probably hit around a dozen. But you know, also with Willie Adamas, kind of that power surge there. What this is, it's it's some unknowns, but the good news for the Brewers is they have a lot, like we mentioned earlier, is the depth that gives you ample opportunities for okay, if a couple guys take a step down, well, guess what? There's going to be a couple that bounce back as well, and that might balance out. Now, the thing is, if does it balance out to last year's levels where the offense wasn't very good? Because that's still not very good of an offense. I that's the biggest question on this team from a from a big picture standpoint because we know what the pitching's going to be. I think we I think we know what the pitching's going to be barring something very unexpected happening or injuries really wreaking havoc, but you need Christian Yelich to take a step forward. It'd be really nice if uh Keston Hira could get back going again. All these guys that we've talked about, there's things you need from them. Not, none of it's guaranteed. Uh even in Andrew McCutcheon, I think you can count on his power, but what is he going to do? beyond power and are those righty lefty splits going to be an issue once again at times it just feels like this team in their competitive window because of the pitching you're still worried about is what happened last season going to happen again where the downfall is what they do from an offensive standpoint I guess the other side Mark Atanasio talked about this past week leaving some space open for an in-season acquisition if, if you need it so that's something that's there but I just I do feel like as we're getting very close to the season getting underway it still feels like what they're going to do from a run scoring perspective is is a little bit of a question mark mm-hmm. it was interesting yesterday and that was that being Saturday and uh in talking with council during his sort of you know, his um, his media session before these spring training games, is a lot of the talk was about it. Kind of went from talking about the two hitting coaches to sort of a general broader topic of the offense and how they're investing more resources into the offense. And from a coaching and I guess maybe even a time perspective is because that was kind of an interesting way to view the two hitting coaches. Wasn't just like a sort of a yin and a yang, which is kind of how I was looking at it. You know, one one subset of guys that, you know, will respond to the way that Ozzie Timmons coaches it. And one subset of guys that respond more to, you know, Connor Dawson's communication and kind of how he explains things. Sort of looking at it as like, we just have more resources invested in the offense. Now, will that, and certainly probably some other things that that are more proprietary and we don't know about are going on behind the scenes, like, Will that lead to improved offense? You know, it just seems like it keeps coming back to this question of Christian Yelich and like if he can 
be that guy to carry the offense again. But even if he's not, like, do they, will they have enough else there to become a top, you know, maybe a top 12, top 10 offense? I'm not sure that they have the power bats in the, the impact bats in the lineup to do it at this point. Now we'll see if this is the year where, if this is the year where the midseason true impact bat, you know, one of those top guys on the market, they they dish out come July, they dish out the prospect capital that it takes. They've made some moves to acquire bats. Um, I mean, you kind of think back to 2018 and it didn't turn out great. Jonathan Scope burned them and Mike Moustakis was good, not great after coming over. Um, but even a, a guy above that tier, would they – I'm not sure, can't off the top of my head, who those guys will be this year. Right. But is this the year where they they dish out the prospect capital to make a splash in, in a trade? Who knows? Could be. Not to, uh, I guess, to play devil's advocate on that one, though. It may be more challenging with the expanded playoffs because there will be less teams selling and maybe more teams buying, which may make players like that more costly. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work out that way or not. I think that's going to be one of the things that's going to be interesting to see both from a uh, how teams approach off seasons and how teams approach mid seasons, what the impact of the extra playoff teams will have. Yeah. The, the, the expanded postseason, which, which, I mean, what, what may, what way does it make teams go? Do you look at it? You know, you could look at your roster at the end of July and go, okay, we're a good team. We'll probably make the playoffs with what we got. We got this pitching staff. And you know how it is in, in, the, in baseball. We could get hot. The offense could get hot for two weeks and carry us with what we've got. No need to mortgage the future and trade Bryce Turang or Garrett Mitchell or you know XYZ for, for offense. Or you could look at it the other way and say, okay, the, you know, there's, there's more teams. There's more buyers. The, we've got to be on top of our game to have the best team going into the playoffs, and we got to compete – with all these other teams on the deadline and beat them out. I, you know, I, who am I to guess how general managers and ownership around the league is going to act this deadline. So yeah, that's a very good point though. We'll see what that leads to. The other thing you mentioned the resources, and I think it's a really interesting conversation when you're talking about data driven organizations, because we, we know about the pitching lab. We don't exactly know what the pitching lab is, but we know it exists and we know that it has a major impact on this organization. Just the nature of pitching, you can do more with it from pitch selection and things like that than you can really do. Yeah, I guess you could build a hitting lab, but I don't think it can have the same impact. So I'll be very curious to see in an organization that likes the data as much as the Brewers do, if they are going to throw more resources at hitting, what does that really look like other than more, more hitting coaches? And they're certainly not alone in the league right now of teams trying to figure out how they can use data and technology to enhance offense. It's just more difficult, right? Yeah. Because pitching, like you said, there's, you know, there's all of, there's all this, th- all this that's already been established, but even, you know, going back to just like the nature of pitching is it's much easier to track because the pitcher controls the entire process. Basically, you know, the ball starts with him. It's in, it's, it's in his hand. And you're just measuring all the things after that. Um, whereas the hitter, he's reacting to to certain things. There's all the there's you know there's still the mechanical stuff, um, and he's at the mercy of the pitcher to a degree. So it's just tougher to measure. But you can you can bet your bottom dollar right now that the Brewers 
are as an organization trying to figure out sort of how they can get technologically, maybe, I guess, or data-driven ahead of the field in that regard? Yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting. Housekeeping might be here right now. Uh, no, thank you. I'm okay. All right, so Kurt, here's the big question. Do I leave the housekeeper coming into the podcast or do I edit this part out? Oh, no, you have to keep that in there. I have to keep this in That's, here. Okay. That is the life, I guess. <laughs> now, here's the big question. If you weren't doing this podcast, what have you had them come in, change towels, things like that? Are they at my door again? I don't know. All right, we're just going to have to go and see this. All right. <laughs> this might be the greatest moment in the history of this podcast right now. As we talk to Kurt, he is in his hotel room in Arizona, maybe having housekeeping come in or not come in. Back. Okay. Uh, as much as I wanted housekeeping to join the podcast, I have politely declined. It's, you know, when you're in hotels, like there's a knock on the door, it's tough to tell if it's your door or the one next door. That is true. It is. It's one of my social anxieties in life is, is like, oh, is that, for, is that at my door? I just, it makes my heart rate jump. I don't like it. Do you have uh, like a door to another hotel room in no, your room? Okay. No connection. We need doorbells. That's what we need in, in hotels. Pass it on. Yeah. To, to your people. It's a good idea because I have I have people. Uh, well, on that happy note, I think that's just about going to uh, wrap things up. Kurt, again, congratulations. Uh, people can read you uh, in the journal Sentinel JS Online, USA Today Sports Plus. Which so um, I do broadcasting for Wisconsin Green Bay women's basketball. I am a Journal Sentinel subscriber. I was always very frustrated because. The all the newspapers that are owned by uh, Gannett, not Gannett, Gannett, right? Is that how you say? It? I say Gannett. Gannett, it's Gannett. Another mystery okay. of the world. Okay, all the newspapers owned by Gannett. Like you guys share coverage. Like your stuff's gonna be in the Journal Sentinel and all the other ones. So, uh, Wisconsin Green Bay coverage. Scott Vinci is their uh, is their beat writer. Uh, it doesn't really show up in the Journal Sentinel, and it was always so frustrating because I'd want to read that stuff but I was not going to pay the money for the Green Bay Press Gazette uh, subscription when like 98% of the content was exactly the same. Well, now, if you are a Journal Sentinel or any subscriber of any of the newspapers, you have access to USA Today Sports Plus. So I was finally able to read Scott's Wisconsin Green Bay coverage. So that's good. Another satisfied customer. There you go. All right, Kurt, thanks so much for your time. We'll do this again real soon. Thanks for having me on. That's Kurt Hogue joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile with a cameo from uh, the knocking hand of a, uh, a housekeeper at the hotel that he is staying at in Arizona. We did keep that in the podcast. We kept it in like it was live radio, did not edit it out. So uh, so, so there there you go. That was a fun little moment there as he um, was getting a knock on the uh, hotel door right there in the middle of the conversation. All right, so uh, let's look to what is coming up. Sunday, the day that this uh, was recorded, was an off day, and uh, the only off day in the Cactus League schedule. And really, next week when we're doing this podcast, we're going to be previewing the regular season. There's only one more full week of Cactus League play to go as uh, they'll play uh, every day this upcoming week. In fact, they'll play every day now moving forward until Wednesday, April 6th, and that's the day before 
the regular season will start. So they'll play uh, every game uh, the rest of this week, and then they'll play Monday and Tuesday uh, of next week, in addition to Sunday of next week as well. Then take that Wednesday off and get set to open up the season on the road. We're certainly looking forward to that. Uh, once again, appreciation goes out to uh, Kurt Hogue for joining us, uh, the uh, newest beat writer covering the Brewers for uh, the Journal Sentinel and JS Online. Thanks to you for being tuned in. We'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.